0: szyざ yeahitor injury otherFaceby this and i district in so, I'm to you you Bible, an <laughs> so, and so to to So to All right, so we have ended the speeches of the friends at this point, and uh, so Job is Job is in his final defense. Where we are now, Job twenty-eight through thirty-one. Job's words end in chapter thirty-one. No more speeches from the friends. Last week we concluded chapter twenty-seven. And the way that I try to divide this up is today, we're gonna to look at chapters 28, 29, and 30. And then, I'm gonna say this now, I'll say it at the end so we don't forget, but next week I won't be here, so we'll just, everybody go in the auditorium and feel, give a little bit of First Thessalonians, and then come back, okay? So next week, everybody in there in First Thessalonians will feel, but today we're gonna to look at 20, 28, 29, and 30, and then the next time we meet, which is on the 30th, I believe, we'll look at the final part of this defense. Chapter 31, I think it deserves its own treatment. And if you look at Job 31, right alongside the Sermon on the Mount, it's pretty interesting, it seems like Jesus is borrowed on some of Job's ideas and some of that. So we'll spend an entire class on chapter 31, but today we'll look at 28, 29, and 30. All right, before we move past the friends though, though they don't have anything to say here, um, we should appreciate what they did and what they did wrong when they came. I just want to say a few things about them since we won't hear from them again until God comes on the scene in chapter 42 to rebuke them and tell them what they need to do to remedy things and make it right. But this has been noted before. They did come to come Job, which is right, but in the end they end up frustrating Job and angering him. As they accuse him of sin, they argue with him and say, he's gotten what he deserves. And so here's a few things to keep in mind about Job's friends now that we're done with their speeches. When you read the book of Job about the friends, here's some things to keep in mind. Number one, they did do some things right. They did, but they did a lot of things wrong, right? But they did get some things right, and that was showing up to be with Job, to comfort him, and to try to help him. Number two, and we sometimes forget this. I forget it when I read their speeches, but this is true. They were trying to help Job even when they were hurting him. Every speech they gave, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they believed in their heart of hearts that Job really needed to hear it and it would be for his benefit if he would do what they said. Now, they're way off base, but we need to appreciate as we read their speeches that they were doing what they thought was right at the time, which tells us intentions are great, but it takes more than intentions to be effective and to be comforting. We might mean well, and I believe the friends meant well, but in the end, they missed the vote. Their view of God was too small. They left no room for nuance, that maybe God was working in a way that they hadn't yet considered. So far as the friends were concerned, they knew everything about God and all the ways in which God worked. And if it wasn't on their list, then God just didn't work that way. And that was a cardinal mistake. Here's another They knew a lot of Scripture and a lot about God, but their knowledge was useless because they didn't know how to apply it. They knew a lot about what God said and how God behaved in the world, but they failed to apply the knowledge that they had properly. We can know a lot about the Bible, as Neil mentioned this morning, but without applying that knowledge, it's all for nothing. Next. It's interesting that you have correct each other. Only who? You know Eliphaz never says, Bill, Dad, you were wrong about that. Or Zophar never says, Bill, Dad, you were right about that part, but this part you got wrong. It's like they all pile up on Job. You know, recently I preached about friends and I talked about the kind of friends that we need. And we need friends that correct us and that point us in the right direction. If you always agree with your friends, if you guys always sing in unison and in chorus, you might want to think twice about that. I mean, Job's wrong about everything. He can't get anything right. But they amen each other's speeches continually throughout and they never try to help one another to refine their thinking and straighten some things off. Here's one of the most interesting things I've learned going through the book of Job this time. They never, not one time, offer a prayer to prayer for Job. They never say, well, we should have a prayer, Job. Your life's pretty. Never. On one. They never even say, you can't get one through because you're so wicked and so sinful, but we'll offer up a prayer on your behalf. They never think about praying for Job. You know, sometimes it's weird to ask people to pray for them, but you should do it anyway. And um, when you do it, pray for them right away. When you tell somebody, well, I'm going to pray for you, just stop what you're doing and pray right away. Sometimes this is over the phone. Sometimes it just has to be. People will never forget that in their darkest hour, you didn't just talk about prayer, but you actually stopped to pray with them. And don't assume. We assume. Well, I know they got a bunch of people praying for me. Don't assume that. A lot of people post prayers and thoughts on timelines, but very few people actually bow their heads and genuinely pray. Job needed a prayer. He talked about this mediator and we fast forward that to talk about Jesus and rightfully so. But what if they could have mediated for Job? What if the friends could have said? What if Eliphaz could have said who seems to be the leader out of the three? Hey Job, let's pray. And so we need to be praying for people. Ask people that are suffering for specific things that you can pray for them about. Like what would you like if you could go your way? If you had a special request, what, what could we do? And then... Here's the last thing I want to say before we go to chapter 28. Our two greatest temptations in being like the friends may not be what we think they are. Number one, we may struggle in being like the friends and not being present with other people. At least they showed up. We live in a text message and kind of a messaging world, and we might struggle. To do what the friends did and to drop everything and come to be by people's side that are hurting. We may just kind of send our message, send our condolences, but we struggle to be like the three friends. Our world hasn't conditioned us for this. Our world's kind of conditioned us and social distancing and things haven't helped this, but we're kind of aloof from each other. And we may struggle to be present like Job's friends were. Um, people need our prayers, they need our thoughts, but they also need our presence. We might think to ourselves, well, I know people that are hurting and they need counsel. They need counselors, that's true, but they need comforters too, and we need to be present. And here's the second one. We may struggle to be like Job's friends. We read their speeches and we say, I would never say this to anybody that's suffering. That's true. We probably wouldn't say it, but we might think it a lot. We might find ourselves from a distance diagnosing people's lives and problems. Do you ever see people going through hardship or you heard about somebody that's going through hardship and you jump right into Eliphaz mode? Well, I knew they weren't going to make it because look at what she did and look at him and look at their life. And we won't say the foolish things that the friend said, but we think it a lot we think to ourselves that we know why people are in the circumstances there. And sometimes it's apparent. And I'm not telling you that when sin is the cause, we shouldn't say it's because you transgress God's law. And this is why this circumstance has happened. But there are a lot of times we don't know all the details. And we might be like Job's friends internally, never outwardly, but internally in our hearts, we may be just as guilty saying, well, if they would just do this, and if this person would have done this, and I know why you're suffering is because of this. And this is why, and we may not have all the details. And so, as we conclude with Job's friends today, let's just appreciate that we don't know everything. Okay, now chapter 28 is all about wisdom. And Neil already talked to us about some of that. Job's situation is somewhat different, but it still applies. Job's going to talk about wisdom in chapter 28. In chapter 29, he'll talk about his defense. And then in chapter 30, he'll do some some more lamenting. All right, who's the wisest person you know? And why would you say they're wise? who's the wisest person you know in your family and one y'all don't know any wise people <laughs> <laughs> nobody okay <Nobody. Nobody. laughs> anybody this is bad I, we know each other we know each other by the way all of, of us know each other anyway who you say my grandfather your grandfather you a lot. He's a old guy. i feel like he can Grandfather, he's an older guy, been through a lot, one of the wisest. Anybody else? I one, one of my best friends died about four or five years ago. His name was Johnson Kell. He was 99 when he, when he died. And I think he, I just he's the epitome of wisdom to me. And I, I think it was because he was always thinking, he was always processing. And you could tell that he had thought through what it was that he said before he spoke. And and it's an amazing contrast with these three friends and the faults that he just pointed out, that they seem to lack that self-reflection and that deliberation that really evokes wisdom. I know you guys know wise people, you just don't want to tell right. But anyway, I think that's right. It's thinking through, what is wisdom? How would you define it? Part of it is thinking through things ahead of time. Is wisdom the same thing as knowledge, or would you say they're different? I think experience. (laughs) Experience is a part of this, yes. You need experience. What else? Application of knowledge. The application of knowledge. Being able to take what you know and then do something with it. Yes. What else? Wisdom. Knowing when to speak and how to speak, and the difference between knowing when to speak and when to listen. Yeah, I think one of the best places in the Bible that... uh, crystallizes what is talking about is Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Solomon says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And then in the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so, knowing when to speak, when not to speak, or should you speak at all. I like to think of wisdom this way. Wisdom is the ability to see how a course of action is going to turn out, and then to respond appropriately. Wisdom is able to see how are things going to pan out if I do A or B. And then, not just knowing that, though, I think sometimes we stop there. You know, Solomon wrote a lot about wives and women and purity. He was able to see how things would pan out, but then you've got to respond accordingly. In chapter 28, Job takes an aside from everything he's talked about so far, and he talks about the fact that we need wisdom. And he's kind of rebuking his friends in all of this, and he's also saying some things about himself and what he hopes to find as he's on this journey. A man that's suffering, why does he need wisdom? Everybody in the world needs wisdom, but why is Job 28, commentators sometimes say, well, I don't know if Job 28 belongs in the Bible. Maybe the person that compiled this inserted it in. I don't think that's the case. But it doesn't read like the rest of the book. It reads like it's out of the Psalms or primarily like it's from the book of Proverbs. Why does a person that's suffering, especially, we all need wisdom all the time, but if you're suffering, if you're on the ass sheet like Job is, why do you need wisdom? He wants to understand it. And you need wisdom if you're going to understand the place of suffering in the world. What's Job's biggest question? Three words, three letters. Why? This why? This? Why is this happening? So you need wisdom to understand that, right? Andy, that's right. Why else do you need wisdom? If you're suffering, why do you need wisdom? For hope. For hope. For hope. If you can foresee the future or have some idea of what the future may lie, you can still hold on to what little hope you may have. If you can understand, This is going to work out. If you can see some the tunnel may be a long tunnel, but if you can see a light at the end of it, you can still possess hope and it'll keep you going. What else? Why do you need wisdom if you're suffering? You may have never been through that situation before, and you're looking for somebody that maybe has or has suffered in some way that can share with you and help you through it. Yeah, that's right. And that might be beneficial if you can parallel your circumstances to somebody else. Typically, we say when Dean Miller was here, he was doing the widowhood seminar. He said when his wife died, there were a lot of things going through his mind, but one of the things he said in the Friday night session was, I knew I could get through this. And then he started listing off people that he knew. He said, I'd seen her go through this. I seen him go through this. And I knew, I didn't know at the time how I would or how I could, but he knew that he could based on what he had seen with other people. And wisdom allows us to do that. Here's some other reasons why we need wisdom when we suffer, so that we don't blame God you don't have wisdom you might point the finger in the wrong direction what does James say let no man say when he's tempted I'm tempted by God God can't be tempted with evil God doesn't tempt any man every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. and in the end he says hey don't err concerning this don't be deceived we need wisdom because we might think it's better off to be wicked well I try to be a good person and I'm suffering now and so it doesn't make a difference how I live and if we don't have wisdom we might just throw in the towel and say well, righteousness is a farce. It really doesn't pay. Asaph almost did that, as righteous as he was, Psalm 73, he almost gave up because he says, Well, wicked people and righteous people, their lives turn out the same anyway. We need wisdom because we need to be able we may be unable to see God's continued goodness and steadfast love. If we don't have wisdom when we suffer, we might think, God's really not that good. I mean, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, God Is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. In his mind, he thought, well, God's really not that good. Suffering will make even religious people think like that. Naomi, what did she say when she came back from Moab, Ruth 1, 20 and 21? Don't call me Naomi. Call me what? Mara. Because the hand of the Lord has gone out bitterly against me. Her name Naomi meant pleasant. She says, just change it because God hadn't been good to me. Suffering caused her. She's the female Job of the Old Testament, by the way. But she had something Job didn't have. And that is, she had friends, right? They were eight friends she said, hey, God had me, without wisdom, suffering will cause us to forget the steadfast love of the Lord. And we need that. It may bind us to the devil's work in the situation. And wisdom also helps us find the true answer. So let's read Job 28. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth. Copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts in ends of darkness. He searches out the farthest limit, the ore and gloom and the deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and its dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beast have not trodden it, the lion have not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rock and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. So the first thing Job does in these first 11 verses is he begins by talking about all of the amazing things that human beings are able to do and all of the depths that we're willing to go to to find precious things in the world. So he talks about gold and all these other things and you just appreciate the world in which we live. Man is capable of some amazing things. Think about technological advancements. There are things we can do today that just five or 10 years ago, we would have thought was something on the Jetsons or something like that, right? all know about the Jetsons, (laughs) Great. Think about it. Cars now drive themselves. You can see people in other countries face to face just through your phone. You can do just about anything through the phone now. Medical advancement, people that would have died pretty quickly and easily just a few years ago now can have their lives prolonged because of medical advancement, all of the great things we're able to do. And we need to ask ourselves sometimes, has all of our knowledge, what would you say? All of human beings' knowledge, all the things we, are, we know now, all the things we're capable of, do you think all of the knowledge we've acquired and the ways in which we've applied it, has it drawn us closer to God or further away? What would you say? Further away. Show of hands for further away. It's the first time I got 100% in anything. About <laughs> all right so we've been able to do stuff, we've learned things, and we've said we're smart now, and we don't need God. You even hear people talk this way, well, knowledge of God and all that, that's sort of archaic. Back then, we kind of needed that. Back in the day, we need I know people grew up religiously, but now we've kind of graduated. Now we know more. and We really don't need the Bible. We really don't need God's existence. It was a crutch for a time, but we've since moved past it. Job says in the first 11 verses, as he's about to talk about wisdom, there are a lot of things that man can do. But it only gets you so far. Human knowledge and human wisdom only gets you so far. There's nothing wrong with ability, nothing wrong with industry, nothing wrong with being able to do great things, but Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel teach us human projects engaged in without divine support ultimately are nothing. We should be like David. You remember in 2 Samuel 6 we often talk about Uzzah. Uzzah touched the ark when it stumbled and he died, but after that After some time, David goes into the house of Obed-Edom. He gets the Ark of the Covenant. And every single step that they take, every time they take six steps, they stop, offer up an offering, and praise God. And that's what human beings should do. Every time we have medical advancement, every time we grow in technology, every time we grow in human wisdom and understanding, we should do like David did. And say, you know what? This isn't going to be the end of us. We won't let it upend our faith and trust in God. We really should stop and praise God. Because without him and his ability, we wouldn't get far. Job says, hey, humans have a lot of wisdom. We've dug deep and we've found rocks and gold and precious things, but in the end, wisdom can't be found through mere human advancement. Job, for the first time, introduces wisdom into the book. He's talked about wisdom before his friends never do. They talk about themselves. They talk about what they know, but they rarely talk about wisdom. Notice some of the places where this comes up. Go to Job chapter 12. Job chapter 12 and notice verse 2. It's almost always brought up in the negative whenever it's brought up. And Job is the one who brings it up the most. Job 12 and verse 2. He says, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Job is getting sarcastic here. He's saying you guys think you know everything. Look at Job 12 and verse 12. Wisdom is with the age and understanding and length of days. With God our wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. Well, Eliphaz is going to say later, we're older than your dad, Job. So who should have been wise? The friends. Look at chapter 12 and verse 16. He's talking about God. With God are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are His. He mentions wisdom in chapter 13. Look at verse 5. Oh that you would keep silent and let it be your wisdom. He's telling his friends, if you just shut up, that will be the wisest thing you've done since you started talking, right? And then in chapter 26 and verse 3. In 26 and verse 3. How you counsel him who has no wisdom and plentifully declare sound knowledge. And so Job basically says to his friends, you've done nothing to help me. you offered no wisdom and this has been their major problem so far. Man in and of himself is unable to tap into the divine wisdom that God offers us. But notice how Job turns the corner. I'm back in Job 28 and notice verse 12. Job turns the corner as he starts to think about where wisdom truly can be found. What does he say in verse 12? What's his question? Where can wisdom be found found, and where's the place of understanding? Well, our lesson this morning shows us that Proverbs 24 is ultimately found with God. Why is it important individually as a person, you? Why do you need to do this? And then collectively, why do we all need to appreciate that we have limits? Why is it healthy for us individually? Job says in these first 11 verses look at the great feats of humanity dug in the deep found ores and gold and sapphires and jewels look at the depths men's able to go to and dig up great treasures but then he transitions in verse 12 and says yeah but can you go on an excavation or a hunt or a dive and find wisdom where can you find wisdom job saying hey humanity's great that's genesis 11 the tower of babel we've got industry we're smart we're creative but what about wisdom can you dig in a rock somewhere and pull up wisdom why do you need to know your limits? Why do I need to know mine, collectively? Why do we need to know without God and without his wisdom, we can only go so far? It keeps us humble. It keeps us humble. And we need to be humble because the world's telling us, hey, we've never been better. We've never been smarter. We've never been more capable than we are now. We really don't need divine aid. Individually and collectively, we need to know our limits so that we'll keep looking to the one who's limitless. If we don't do that, we'll say to ourselves, God's a side dish. We're the main entree. We really don't need God's help. Job says, where can wisdom be found? Look at verses 12 through 14 in Job 28. Verses 12 through 14, Job says, we can't find it. And then in 15 through 19, he says, we need to find it though because it's priceless. And then he says in verses 20 through 22, we can't find it on our own we can't and so what question does Job want answered again throughout the whole book what's his big question Job wants to know why why he's suffering he needs wisdom to find that out and so what is he saying about his circumstances if he can't find wisdom and he needs wisdom to figure out why he's suffering what is he saying about his circumstances It's impossible to know why I'm in this situation. Wisdom can't be found, guys. We need wisdom, he's saying to the three friends to figure out why I'm sitting here. What we've come up with so far, that the wicked suffer and the righteous are blessed, doesn't fit me. So somebody's going to have to give me an answer. We've done the best that we can do. We've only got so far. It would really be helpful if we had wisdom beyond our own to come up with a solution. And we're coming up blank. None of us know the answer to this. Wisdom just can't be found. And so Job wants to know why. Look at verse 23 who understands this? God understands the way to it. He knows its place. He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind his weight and a portion of the waters by measure, he made a decree for the rain, a way for lightning and thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And here it is in verse 28. God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Essentially Job says, wisdom comes from who? God. Job wants wisdom. And you'll see this at the end of the book. Job doesn't really get what he wants. He gets what he needs. Job wants wisdom as if it's some abstract thing. But as Job works through this, wisdom, searching for it in and of itself won't do. Wisdom ultimately leads us to a person, to God. That's what Job needed. And when Job sees God, everything's solved in his world. But just seeking wisdom, Job wants to know what's going on. Well, in the end, Job's going to see God. That's what he needs. More than he needs abstract wisdom, Job needs to see God. How do you know God's wise? Look at verse 25. God tells the wind to blow and how to blow. He controls the water in verse 25. He controls the rain, the thunder, and the lightning. Verse 26. And he tells men where to find wisdom. Now this phrase, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and the turn away from evil is understanding, is found several places throughout the Bible. Look at Psalm 111 and verse 10. Go to Psalm 11 and verse 10. And it comes up twice in Proverbs in a different form but Psalm 111 in verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who practice it have a good understanding his praises his praise endures ever so the fear of the Lord that's where wisdom starts if you reverence and respect and even fear God you're on your way to being wise the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 Solomon starts the book of Proverbs that same way by saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the same thing. Your response to Job 28 and verse 28 says everything about you. What do you think true wisdom is all about, and where do you think? Can find it. We live in a world we want a how to guide. This is the American way. Give me the five hacks and tell me what I've got to do. Give me the blog article that says these six steps lead you here. Job says that's not how it works. If you really want to be wise, fear God. And what else does he say in verse 28? Depart from evil. Guess what, though? This is great news for Job because this is how the book begins describing Job. Who's a wise man among the four? Job is. There was a man in the land of us named Job, an upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. So Job is a wise man, and this lets us know Job's on the way to getting his answer. Job's on his way to finding hope. Job's <clears throat> on his way to finding wisdom because he already is described in this fashion. Based on Job's words, when we truly get wisdom, he truly gets the wisdom he needs to deal with his own situation when God shows up. Before we move on to chapter 29, just notice this. In light of verse 28, What are the two wise things we can do when we're suffering no matter what? Pray. Pray, keep God in front. Yep. what else? Let's summarize those. Job 28 and verse 28. When we're (laughs) suffering and we don't know why and we can't figure it all out, the two things we can do based on Job 28 and verse 28 are what? Fear God God and turn away from evil. That will sum up the pray and the seek God. Fear God. You say, I'm suffering. Life's not going my way. I don't know why. I wish I had an answer. Well, what we can control see, Job talks about all that we can't control, and then he says, Well, here's what I can control. I'm going to reverence and respect God, and I'm not going to compound my problem by Isaiah 30 and verse 1 rebellious children add sin to sin. If we're suffering, the last thing we need to do is compound it by more sin. Fear God and just keep turning away from evil. And when we do that, one of two things is going to happen the suffering will end, we'll be alleviated from our suffering in some way, shape, or form, or we'll continue to persevere and be the righteous people God would have us to be, and God will eventually see us through. We can't always control why we're suffering, but in the midst of the storm, we can maintain our fear and reverence for God, and we can depart from evil. In fact, we must do those things, and that's what Job says in chapter 28. Okay, now chapter 29. Let's go to chapter 29 and notice that Job goes back to same old Job here. So Job had a little interlude where he praised God, talked about God having wisdom and now look at verse 29 and verse 1. Job again took up his discourse and said chapter 29 in a nutshell is Job looking back. Now Job doesn't do this a lot through the book but he does it here. Job pauses to look back at Job chapter 1 and Job remembers how his life was before and it's a pretty sad encounter because Job is struggling here with figuring out man, if I could just go back to how things used to be Frederick Backman wrote a novel called Beartown. It's not about the Bible or anything, it's actually about hockey, but in this book, there's a tragedy where a girl goes through unimaginable suffering, and he says this about our lives and about how hardship put things into perspective. He says, we always remember more sharply than anything else the last happy moment before everything <coughs> fell apart. We ask ourselves, could I have done anything de- differently? Why did I not just walk around happy all the time? When you look back and you think, man, things were so good, all I did was complain. Why didn't I just walk around happy all the time? If only I had known what was going to happen, could I have stopped it? Everyone has a thousand wishes before a tragedy, but just one afterwards. When a child is born, its parents dream of it being as unique as possible until it gets ill, then suddenly all they want is for everything to be normal. A thousand thousand wishes yesterday, one single wish today. When we suffer, in the end, we just say, man. If I could just have this one thing fixed. We want a thousand things in life. But Batman says, when tragedy strikes, we just want one. And that's Job in Job 29. Job has one request. If I could just get back to where I was before. Look at Job 29, the first, oh, let's look at the first two verses. And Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I, I was as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. What does Job want as he looks back? What's his major thing he wants? Verse 2 He wants God to watch over him just like he used to, right? What does he say in verse 3? What does he want? What does he miss? God's light. God's light shined on him and things worked work well for him. Notice verse 4. He just comes right out and says, I miss God being my friend. By the way, is God still his friend? Yes. But none of this. When you read the book of Job, just because you know chapters 1 and 2, none of that means anything to Job. He doesn't know anything about that. and His suffering is just as acute and real as if God wasn't his friend. That's what Job thinks. In verse 5 he says, when the Almighty was with him problem is Job doesn't know it, but he still has all of these things. He's just lacking the outward manifestation of it. Martin Luther said, the depression of the spirit is no index of declining grace. Just because you feel bad doesn't mean God strips from grace for you. In fact, God always loves us the same amount. No depression of the spirit is any index of declining grace because God doesn't increase in his love for us. It doesn't like go up and go down. You have as much of it as you will ever have right now. Now, your realization of that and my realization of that fluctuates based on earthly circumstances because we're flesh, we're humans, we struggle. But God doesn't start loving you more when you start reading the Bible than he did. But when you, God loves us all the time. But sometimes we fail to see that and Job is struggling here. He does mention some things about his former life. What does he mention in verse 5 or who does he mention? His kids. Job's not begging for his stuff back just to have his stuff back. But all of this is about Job saying, I wish things went back to the way they were when I was viewed as upright and faithful to God and in His presence. Job wants a peaceful life with the community. He wants his children. And he wants the respect of his contemporaries. Scan verses 6 through 25. And if you see something in here that Job mentions, as you scan verse 26 through 25, notice, what do we learn about what kind of person Job was? Just yell them out as you find them. In verse 6 down through verse 25, what kind of person was Job? He helped the needy. He helped the needy, okay. Respected. He was respected. (coughs) Somebody look at 18 through 20. How did Job think his life would end? In good old age, which is ironic, right? Job says, I thought my life was going to end in good old age. I never thought I'd be here. The last verse in the book, 42, 17 says, And Job died as a man full of age and in good health. So Job's life does it in this way, but in the current, he's like, man, I thought I was gonna be a good guy. I was loved by my community. Um, how did Job treat people? He helps them. With, with respect? Eyes. eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. All right, All right so respect. when we consider Job's resume, what are the things that stand out to you about Job? Job saying, I was innocent, I was upright. Job, in this chapter, what does Job want back about his own life? Because Job looks back at his life, two things rise to the surface. In the first five verses we read, he wants his friendship back with who? God. God, and what else? In verses 6 through 25. His family. His, his family, what else? Children. 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 Mm-hmm. Job cares about God and people. That's Job's life. Job doesn't talk about camels and oxen. Job says, my life's terrible. I never thought I would come here. I want God back mm-hmm. with my friend, and I want mm-hmm. the friendships and relationships I had before, including family, friends, contemporaries. What did Jesus say? The greatest command is to love who? God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, love who? That's Job. That's Job's life in a nutshell. Job says, I want to be back here. Job 29, 30, and 31 just is going to show us how what kind of man Job was. And this is where reading Job is scary. Because if you believe in the retribution principle, Job's gonna make you very uncomfortable. Are you doing all this stuff in chapter 29 that Job did? Feeding the hungry and doing all that. If Job's not off limits, nobody is. Job was the perfect man, you could say. God said nobody in than all the earth, and yet Job suffered. And so all of these great things, they don't remove the reality of suffering. What is nostalgia? Is it healthy? Is nostalgia healthy? Brittany says, every time you come to one of these little league football games, you want to talk about your glory, man. <laughs> No, listen. Um is it healthy to look back yes. she did say that just yesterday <laughs> but yeah it can be if we're away from god because we transgressed and we sinned and we look back and say oh i remember when i was faithful in the church and i served and things were, i remember leaving the opening prayer that was me then nostalgia can be the thorn that pricks us and turns us back to the way of righteousness but if we look back at wicked times and say oh i remember when i used to do this then we're in the wrong Job looks back, and I think he has a healthy view of the past, but Job needs to see that the best days for him are out in front. Job chapter 30, there's not much change here, but Job Job does not enjoy the life he previously had with God. Well, he does. He now enjoys nothing but suffering. He says, nobody respects me. They laugh at me. They don't welcome me or want me around. That's verses 1 through 6. And 9 through 15, he believes the mistreatment he's receiving is because God has cast him aside. He says, God's against him. In verses 16 through 23, his suffering intensifies, and he even claims that God is persecuting him. Look at Job 30 in verse 21. He says, you have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. And look at verse 23. He says, I know what you will do. You'll do what? What does he think God's going to do to him? Kill him. The irony of it is what? The only reason why Job's alive is because God told Satan, yes, skin for skin, all that a man has he'll give for his life. Take everything from him, but don't do what? God, I know you're just going to kill me. You're just chipping away and chipping away, and eventually you're going to kill me. He's mistaken, though. Job does not deserve the treatment he's receiving. He ends this in verses 24 through 31 by saying, he did everything right and none of it paid off. you ever feel like that? I did everything right and nothing paid off. I did all the right things and it didn't go my way. And Job feels that way right now. He's struggling. He didn't deserve the treatment. And if the world was full, Job would feel like he was getting the right things. He would be blessed. <clears throat> Job is saying, my life, I went to the, I pulled up to the drive-thru, and I didn't order this up. Job is saying, you ever get the wrong order? You go somewhere, you're like, I don't eat mayonnaise. What is all this? Right? Job's saying, look, man, I paid my bill. I ordered my meal. I look in my bag. This is not the life I ordered up. I was righteous. I was blameless. I was upright. Why am I getting this? God's the one that's working in the kitchen. He's just doling out the wrong stuff, and I know eventually death's coming for me. Chapter 31 we'll look at next time. Job ends by saying, okay, I've been upright and blameless. I don't know what else to tell you, but I'm not here because of home subject. Now, here's some takeaways from this section, and then we'll put then we'll, We need wisdom more than we need anything else, which is just another way of saying you need to hear from God more than you need to hear from anybody else. That's what Job eventually needed and what he eventually got. Prayerfully at our life end, we can look back like Job and see blessings and faithfulness more than blunders and unnecessary failures. Thank God for a Job chapter 29 where Job could say, here's the way I live and here's what people can say about me. Job's obituary would read if he were to die in this book, look at what kind of God Job was. Simplify your life. You don't want to look back and say, why did I sweat so many small and silly things, when in reality and in hindsight it did no good. Before tragedy, a thousand things. After tragedy, only one. Simplify your life, because everybody's going to get there. And you want to be able to say you lived wisely. And here's the last thing. Our circumstances do not tell the entire story. The dark night of the soul is experienced by many, but even in the darkness, God is there. Psalm 42 and 43, Neil preached on this. It was a while ago, maybe last year, but those two psalms kind of go together. And the psalmist is experiencing what some have called the dark night of the soul. Why has God abandoned me? Why are all these hardships happening? And even in the midst of that, the psalmist knows he can look toward God. Job is so close as you get near the end of the book to the light dawning on the situation and things turning around for him. And as we suffer, sometimes our redemption is closer than we can appreciate and expect. And all God wants, remember, the bar for Job is very low in this book. I know he's suffering terribly, I don't want to minimize this, but there's one stipulation for Job, just don't curse God. And all God wants us to do is just hang on. The bar is very low as far as endurance. God says, just don't quit, and it'll be worth it in the end. All right, thanks for a good Bible plan.